Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Teach us. Spirit of God, help us to sit still at your feet. We speak to our own souls. Be still. And know he's God. The entrance of your word brings light. I pray today we will allow your word to enter into the dark recesses of our soul where no other light can go. The light of your word will go forth. Touch, Lord. Touch our will. Bow all, touch our will. We give you the freedom to touch our will, to bend our will to your will. To shape us, to conform us in the image of your son. That's our destiny. And I pray no one will miss that destiny, Lord. So speak to us this morning. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A priest, a pastor, had prepared a whole weekend on his sermon. Sunday when he reached church, the only one congregation member had turned up. So he looked at him and said, I have prepared like Pastor James for almost two hours, but only you turned up. What do I do? So he said, Sir, I'm a farmer who also rears chicken. So in the morning and the evening when I go to feed my chicken, when I go with the rice, when I go to feed my chicken, if only one chicken comes, I don't leave it hungry. So he was excited. And he said, thank you for encouraging me. And then he preached his heart out to this man. After one and a half hours, when everything was over, benediction was over, he asked this gentleman, so what do you have to say? He said, sir, when I have to feed my chicken, and only one chicken comes, I don't feed the entire thing to that one chicken. <laughs> but actually, in the kingdom of God, it doesn't work like that. Even if it is only one chicken, you give them the entire word of God. Okay, you don't put two grains and tell them only you turned up. You can go. We don't do that. So, we will look into the word. I, I believe you have at the back of your minds the past two Sundays of uh, messages. I hope if you went there, log in, listen, because God's people need to know how to fight. Not with each other, not with people, not with family, not with colleagues. You need to know how to fight the powers of darkness. You see, the, the like we, we saw how the enemy has twisted the truth in Gentile nations so that we actually end up worshipping the enemy and following his precepts instead of worshipping the living God 
and allowing his truths to guide our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2, when Paul talks about his experience, he actually says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about himself. That's the presumption. But that's not the point here. He talks about a third heaven. Okay, so that's how we, when we study the Bible, it all falls into place that in creation, which God has created, there is the first heaven, it's a realm, a second heaven, another realm, and the third heaven, which is this earth. The visible, the visible. The other two are invisible. Because they are not visible, it doesn't mean they don't exist. The problem with the rational scientific man is unless he can prove it with his senses, he does not believe. But just does he does not believe, that does not mean there are no other realms. So God, actually his throne is in the third heaven. And when you study the creation story, we see the second heaven is where Satan has his kingdom and uh, we are at a little lower so you see that even other faiths, uh, not uh, not uh, Islam, Islam talks about the seventh heaven. That's why you have a lot of other stuff connected with that. But Hinduism also talks about the first, the second, and the third one being hell. And uh, it's very interesting how, if you look at this, you look at the stories of Hinduism, and then you look at these precepts, and you see there is an issue with the gods and uh, a king on earth who happens to be good. They are jealous and you know the, the king of Kerala actually. And when he is pushed down by one of the avatars of Vishnu down to hell and mythology says he is given charge of hell. But once a year he is allowed to come back to earth. Okay, that's on him. So can you imagine somebody who's in charge of hell, when he comes once a year onto earth, we celebrate. It's called on him. Do you know how we are caught up in lies? And you know, a lot of Christians celebrate on him. Who are they inviting into their homes? Now when we say this thing, all the Orthodox Christians and all get upset and angry and all. Like I said, there is no space in the spiritual realm called sacred and secular. There is only one space. What you don't see does not mean it does not exist. That's why we have to constantly study the truth to see where all did we open doors to allow the enemy in. So we learned about the order, the heavens, the principalities, the power, the rulers. We saw another another portion last week from, I'm going to quick recap and then we get into today's. In Genesis 4 and verse 19, Take heed lest you lift up your eyes to heaven. When you see the sun, the moon, the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them. Remember last Sunday, I told you when you see all the stars, Behind that, there are powers and principalities. The host of heavens. Okay, There are powers and principalities. And you know how people in India especially get caught into the trap? You look at a star and behind the star there is a power. And when you go into astrology, you give that power control over your lives. 
That's why God said, no astrology for my people. Understand from scripture why God said strict nose to a whole lot of stuff when the children of Israel came out of Egypt because the ancient nations, even all cultures, they look into these. We are warned. These are the hosts. Don't be driven to worship them. Don't get and serve them. Which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. Others may fall under that trap. You don't fall under that trap. Okay, so understand all these things. Like you have, we have a, we have a, like I said last Sunday, snakes and dragons. Remember? The entire east, starting from India onwards, entire east is caught up in snake. It's Islam actually that destroyed that in the Middle East. And Christianity destroyed that in Europe and the rest parts of the Christian world that destroyed the worship of that. And it's coming back now. So, there are powers which are there, established by God, fallen and not fallen. And these ones, we need to be very careful. We worship only God. We hear about councils in heaven. There are councils in heaven. And the prophet Micaiah talks about when Ahab is trapped. Remember? And Jehoshaphat is trapped. It is a council that is taking place in Second Chronicles. And Micaiah said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the host. Did you see the host of heaven in the previous? And here the host of heaven are spirit beings. You see? In Deuteronomy 4.19. Can we go back to that? And all the host of heaven, and we think it is stars and just stars alone. Yes, they are stars. But when we come to Chronicles, what does the scripture says? And all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. All the angelic hosts are standing on his right and left, including the evil ones. And one of the evil spirits will say, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets. And we think, We are in control over here. Remember, we are not in control. There are powers that are controlling the minds and the activities of human beings. And if we do not walk constantly by faith, control goes into their hands. We saw this again in Job. Remember Job 1, verse 6 and 7? There was a day when the sons of God, it's another word for angels, came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from backing, walking back and forth on it. There are councils that take place. There are a lot of spiritual activity 24-7 that taking place concerning this human world. In Daniel's case, we realize he prayed. He was had an issue. He was upset. He was fasting. He was praying. The answer came only 21 days later and that angel, Gabriel said, "Uh, Michael, do not fear angel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. This is Gabriel. Now this is not Satan. This is one of the principalities under him withstood Michael the archangel for 21 days and he needed the help of Michael to come before Gabriel could bring the answer. 
Are you getting it? Gabriel was sent and the prince of Persia, the principality assigned by Daniel over Persia withstood him 21 days and Gabriel couldn't win on his own. So he needed help. And Michael, who is in charge of Persia, sorry, charge of Israel, came to help, overcame, and the answer comes to Daniel. Then he will say, after this, I need to go and fight the prince of Greece. Okay, so we see, just because we do not see, doesn't mean nothing is being fought over each one of us. It's a battle raging in the heavenlies over the soul of every man. Powers and rulers and principalities are all involved because they know God loves man. Okay, understand, that is the reason. So there is war in the heavenlies. There is opposition at every step. And the devil knows very well how God's kingdom how does he get away with all these things? You may say, how can the devil get away with stuff like that? Isn't God there? The problem is, devil knows God well. He knows God is righteous. He knows the kingdom of God is established on righteousness. He knows the scepter of the kingdom is righteousness. Oh, he is a very good lawyer. The minute you and I slip away from God's righteousness, he comes and says, I have the right the legal right to attack them. I have the right. And God being righteous will say yes. If you are a righteous parent, if you are a righteous parent, and your child came back from school, and you find he or she has been severely disciplined, you, mothers, usually a lot of mothers will go and fight with the teachers. But if you are a righteous parent, you will go and ask, what was the reason? What was the reason? And the teacher says so and so. If you're a righteous parent, you will say he deserved it. I remember when I was Bhutan, as they used to use whips, leather, this thing, whips. And I got nicely from the Bhutanese language teacher, the big wells. You know, when I showed my mother, was very upset. When my father, so he wanted to first ask, what did you do to get it? That's the terrible thing of being a principal's son. He wasn't bothered about the wells. He was more concerned, what did you do that he had to smack you like that? Okay, imagine we have a righteous God. His kingdom is established on righteousness. And the devil knows that. That is why this entire focus, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not these things, because you change your focus, the devil will get in from the left, the right, the center, above, he will get all over your life. Because he knows the kingdom of God is established on righteousness. So the devil deceives us, subverts us, gets us to break the hedge. Right? God has brought Israel out of Egypt and he's covered them and he's bringing them. They are fighting him, but he's disciplining them. Balak, the king, hires Balaam, the prophet, and says, curse them. Every time he tries to curse, nothing happens. And finally opens his mouth and says, God is saying, I see no iniquity in Jacob. God is saying, they have trouble, but I will discipline them. I'm not going to let you in. Then before leaving, he gives Balaam a nice advice. 
He says, you know what? We can't do anything to these people. Because God will protect them. I have an idea. You release your midnight women on them. They will go for the women. They will break the heads. They God will finish them off. And you will see that's exactly where the downfall of Israel begins. They break the heads. God starts disciplining them which will finally lead to the 70-year captivity of Israel in Babylon. They never come back as a nation until 1948. That's where it began. One simple tactic. You want to finish them off, teach them how to sin. So, tempt them, get them to sin. Their God is righteous. He will finish them off. He won't take this rod off. Understand how the kingdom of God works and how the devil will subvert his rules to get us in. So when the new covenant begins, there is a difference. Now salvation begins only when we are declared righteous. That is why nobody is born a Christian. I thought I was born a Christian until my eyes opened that I was not a Christian in God's sight. Because you cannot be born a Christian. You can be born a Hindu, you can be born a Muslim, you can be born anything, but you cannot be born a Christian. To become a Christian, you have to be declared righteous by God. That only happens when you look at the cross. The power of the serpent is broken over your life. And you are transferred from serpent seed to the seed of Christ. You have to believe. You have to realize who you are. You have to look to him alone for mercy. Repent, believe and accept. And you are declared righteous that day. That's the first declaration from the verdict in heaven. You are righteous. You are justified. Just as if you never sinned. That's the term justified. No, I, old illustration. We'll give it to you for those who are new. Remember old days when you, not old days, when you type on the computer. It's not aligned at all. One side is aligned. And you look at this one side and says, look at my life. So, 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 so good. God says, look at your life. It's so crooked. We look only at the good side. But when you stand before the judge, he doesn't want to know your good works. He wants to know which criminal statute did you break. That's the only thing. All your good deeds makes no difference in the code. The prosecutor stands up and says, section this one, section this one, section this one, section this one. That's all he wants to hear. What you have in answer to this? Nothing. So this side is all crooked. This side is aligned and you have an option. What is that option called? Justify. And suddenly the whole thing falls into place. When you look unto Jesus, believe him as the atonement that he died for you. God justifies us. That is where righteousness begins. It's just the beginning, imputed righteousness. After that, God wants us to start walking by faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. The journey begins to go into from positional to functional righteousness and all the way the devil is trying to pull you to one side, to that side to break the head. And God says, if you break the head, the snake will bite you. If you have broken the head, God says there is a way back in. Repent and get in. That's where scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. The angelic ministry still continues. 
in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Okay, angelic ministry continues. Angelic angels are sent. Everybody sitting here who are saved, you have no clue. You have angels covering you all the time. Watching over you all the time because God says, that's my son. You know, when princes and all go, you know, once I was in that country, which like the present king, and I was in the classroom, and I was teaching, then I sort of saw all the students like stunned because outside my door, it was a crown prince knocking. And they knew because he had his whole set of bodyguards standing beside him. I'm very polite. He says, sir, can I come to your class and just talk to the students for 10 minutes? No, they're very polite. Royalty is very polite. But they're always surrounded by bodyguards. And you don't realize every child of God is covered by ministering angels because you are positionally the sons and the daughters of a king. But the battle continues. But a righteous king. But what changed primarily between the old and the new covenant is John 3, 5. Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God suddenly came into play. You are born again of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come in. And warfare changes totally now in man's favor. You are born of God. Nobody in the Old Testament was born of God. The greatest of all who was born of women in the Old Covenant was John the Baptist. Even he lost the spiritual battle. The New Covenant, everyone is born of the Spirit of God. You know, he is the Spirit of air. The devil is the spirit of air and everything, even for you to hear what I am saying, you need the air. No air, you won't hear. You know that, right? At least that basic science I know. I hope you know. If there is a vacuum, you can't hear anything. That's how we used to fool in the old physics class. Teacher will come and say the distance between earth and moon is 200,000 kilometers and sound travels at the speed of 360, 600 and explosion took place in moon. How long will the time take to reach over here? Everybody is sitting there and calculating and finally all your answers are wrong because there is no air. So sound won't? Where there is no air, there is no sound. So the devil controls the air to decide what we can hear or what we cannot hear. But he cannot control believers. That is why scripture says, those who have ears, let them hear. Who says? The spirit doesn't need air to communicate to us. Spirit to spirit, there is no need for wire, no need for air, nothing. And that is the final generation who will be ready when the Lord comes. They have learned to hear in the spirit. Not through air. All these things he can manipulate. He can take the electricity off. He can shut the generation down. He can shut the mobile towers down. He can do everything. He can change the logarithms that is happening with YouTube and all, all Christian conservative. Everything is taking on. They have, they have introduced a bill in the California Senate, uh, Congress. If it passes, California will be the first state in US which will say that you cannot have publishing that is against homosexuals. Starting to go against taking the Bible from the public space in America, the Christian nation. One by one by one they can stop. But you cannot do anything to stop the Holy Spirit from speaking to those who are born of the Spirit. 
So learn to hear in the spirit. Warfare changed completely in man's favor. It took 21 days for Job, the incredibly righteous man called Daniel, to hear from God. If you're walking in the spirit, you can hear in seconds. Because you don't need to go through the second heaven to communicate with God. The spirit in you, his spirit speaks to you. Understand it has changed in man's favor. So in Ephesians 6 verse 17 and 18, these are weapons. So take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all spirit and supplication in the spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in. The word of God has to be sharpened by the spirit of God. And your prayer has to be sharpened by the spirit of God. And God says, you know what? It's totally in your favor. That's why I said the least in the kingdom of God is potentially greater than the greatest in the old covenant because you are able to do what it was impossible with them. That's why we are called more than conquerors. Jesus conquered and he says in his name you can conquer and he's seated on the right hand side of the father in first Peter who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to them. They're all subject to them. And Ephesians 1, 23 says, He put all things under his feet, gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all. He's been given authority, power, everything over everything else and he exercises that authority on behalf of the church and the church exercises that authority on his behalf. That is what Paul was talking about, the mystery. In Genesis, Ephesians 5 was talking about marriage. Then he finally comes and says, I'm using marriage. You can learn principles of marriage, but actually I'm talking about something else. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see how he brought it over there? He says the closest relationship possible on planet earth is between a man and his wife. They can actually become one. And he says the church can become one with Christ in the spirit. And when they do, they will exercise the very power of Christ on earth. That is why the devil comes and short-circuits every Christian marriage. Because the devil knows if a man is there totally submitted to God and a woman is there totally submitted to that man and a child or children are there totally submitted to those parents, his game is over in that home. They are incredible threat for his kingdom. So understand how the devil works and why we face so many conflicts in our homes and the churches because the devil knows the power the church can exercise, a believing couple can exercise. So we are not called to fight against one another, we are called to fight together against the enemy. So you have deception, you have distraction, last Sunday I told you about distraction, the ways the devil deceives us, distracts us to see that we don't seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
He changes our minds so that our focus is on other things. And He doesn't care how good you are, how many times you attend church a week or a month, or how many times you read your life, you read your Bible. If God is not first, His kingdom is not first, His righteousness is not first, He knows that. You can't do anything. I know what to do with you. You're not going to do anything. You're, you're, you're harmless. So devil works at every level. At the micro level, he works in the individual, in the family. At the macro level, he works with world leaders. But through it all, God will have in every generation a godly remnant. And that remnant of all generations put together, I believe, will be the bride of Jesus Christ. So once you are saved, you are fighting all your way to become part of that remnant. So the devil is a thief. Remember? Last Sunday? Shall we get on to today's? Whenever a thief gets into your house, I hope he doesn't get into your house, but when he breaks into your house, one thing the thief looks for, he looks for the valuable things. He doesn't come into your house, open your fridge and take yesterday's rice and goes away. He doesn't do stuff like that. Even when he threw, he go, and you may not be aware, but the experts, when he go, opens your almara, breaks it open, he looks, he looks at your saris, you may fool your friends, but he knows the value of every sari. Okay? He leaves all the cheap ones and takes all that patusari because he knows that he will get a good price. When the devil comes to steal, Thief comes to steal. He goes for the valuable things. And he knows the most valuable thing a child of God is his predestined destiny. Most valuable thing you have is your destiny. What will he try to steal you? Your destiny. Because he has heard everything God has spoken about you. He has been there in these 10 years, he has never missed a meeting. You may have, he has not. He has heard every sermon. He has no problem with memory. He knows every sermon. He knows everyone, which way you are going, which way your destiny. He knows it all. And he knows the most valuable thing you have is your destiny. Eternal destiny. On earth, let's get into it, okay? Because vacations, 40 days of vacation now for young people. On earth, destiny is tied with one thing on earth. One thing, primarily. It is time. It is time. Last Sunday we saw, redeem your time. For the days are evil. You could be the most successful man on earth, but end up in heaven as not having unfulfilled your destiny. Destiny and success on earth are not the same. Destiny is what God wanted you to be. Success is what the world sees you are. Okay? If God wants you to be a doctor, don't be a pastor, please. If God wants you to be a civil services officer, don't be an evangelist, please. You may become the most successful evangelist and end up in heaven, realizing you didn't fulfill your destiny. God says, I didn't want you to be that. 
That is because you liked it and you saw there was fame in it and you were very successful, but you didn't fulfill your destiny. Your destiny was something else. That is why we need to know what God wants us to be. And the most important factor in fulfilling your and my destiny is time. Because life on earth, not in heaven, is measured in time. Meaning, you and I, all of us, only have so much time to fulfill our destiny. A limited time. Everybody, a limited time. On earth, life is equal to time. In heaven, there is no time. So the greatest, one of the greatest gifts I can give God and to man is my time. It's my time. If I give, let's say, Peter, one hour of my time, I can never get it back. It's gone. In heaven, we are both there, I give Peter one hour, I lose nothing. It's not subtracted, because there is no time there. I haven't lost anything. On earth, when I give him one hour, it's gone. You never get it back. On the other hand, God being eternal has no time. God has no time. So when God fellowships with me, he loses no time or loses no life. When I fellowship with God, I give him my time and I give him my one hour, two hours of my life. So whether you are fellowship with God, with one another, there is always loss. And God says, be careful, your loss is worth it where you spent your time. Invest it properly. Tomorrow Peter says, Pastor, can I come and meet you for one hour? When I say, yes, Peter, come for one hour, and I give him one hour, I cannot give that one hour to anybody else, not even to my wife. I've taken that time from everybody else and given to him exclusively. But when God gives me one hour, he's not taking one hour from anybody. He can give one hour to me at the same time, one hour to him at the same time, to Albert, to Moses, to everybody he can give. At that same point, he can give one hour. He loses nothing. You and I lose. So God says, that's the greatest gift you can give to God or to somebody. So remember, value time. Because God is outside time and it's omnipresent. So the greatest gift actually I have on my hand is time. And you have is time. So God says, maximize your time. Make the best use of your time so that when I give 15 minutes of my time to Peter, that 15 minutes is the best I can give him. Are you getting it? When I give you one and a half hours of a sermon to you, 
it is because I have maximized my time through the week. Maybe up to 70 hours. So that when I come here and give you a sermon, the pastor Vijay comes and gives you the word for an hour or two hours, it is because we have maximized our time that was available. And all of us need to realize when we fulfill our destinies, what comes into play is time. What the devil steals from us is time. And when it comes to time, I can only give it once. April the 22nd, right? Today is 22nd? 2018 will only come once. Tomorrow is 23rd. I cannot give it a second time. Lot of people, when they go and they try to make a presentation or go to their workplace and give something, they never have maximized their time which was available. So they make terrible presentations of their life. Because they didn't utilize their time well. They didn't use. Why are we such sloppy workers? Because you are in extremely terrible stewards of our time. Extremely. Let me ask you this question because you are a young generation. What are you good at? What are you good at? Getting a job today is not easy and it's even more easier for them to stuck you out of the job because you have not upgraded your skills. Even with the preacher, a young preacher like Timothy, Paul says, work hard and prove yourself. Why do pastors fail all around the world? Because they haven't in your terms upgraded their skills in the word of God. They're practically illiterate when it comes to one skill they should it's not eloquence. It is the knowledge of the word of God. Let me ask you today, how much stuff is available free on the internet? You can study on your own, pay the fee and write an exam and get one more degree. What have you done with your time? What have you done with your time? You wasted your time. You're wasting your time. You're not, you're not making use of time. Unlike old days where people had to take leave or resign and enter a college and work for, study for three hours, three years to get a degree today, you don't have to. You can do it all online. You can keep on upgrading yourself. The question is, do we? Do we? Or are we wasting time? That's what we need to realize. The devil is a thief. What he steals from you and me is our time. So that finally when we have time, we have nothing to give God because we didn't make use of our time. We have nothing to give each other. Our fellowship is so shallow and so shabby because we never increase in depth. Remember yesterday's illustration which you got from Pastor Zach Bonner? Right? What is New Jerusalem? It's a cube. It is not a square. Oh, look at him. He's so tall and so broad. But God says, shallow. Shallow. You want depth? See how you spent your time. You will realize whether you have depth or not. 
It's connected with time. That's why scripture forever says, number your days, mark your time, be circumspect how you walk, redeem your time, make use of your time. Because ultimately what I can give God and what I can give man is my time. And the time I give God and the time I give man, it should be the best I can be what I can. I don't have to be better than anybody else. But I should be the best I can be. Therefore, I am, I and you have to be careful how we made use of our time. So the devil comes, steals our time. You have to go through the Bible to understand how we use time. For newly married ones, we have, uh, Eric and Joanna. Yes. Johnson and Saubhagya, Raj and Apu. Go through scripture. Scripture is very clear. Even in the Israelite army, what was the law? One year off. You don't go to battle if you're newly married. Why? God says the first year of your marriage will define the rest of your marriage. If you don't get to know each other during the first year, your marriage will be shabby. Spend time with each other. Get to know God. Get to know one another. First year will define everything. First year, you stray around, walk around, this thing and all. Second year onwards, the children start coming, trouble starts coming. You realize you're not able to fight this battle because you did not use your time to get to know each other and become one. Every problem in every marriage, you look back, it is the first year that defined the marriage because it's scripture. Scripture. Get to know. So can you have a, a law like that in one nation alone in the world in the word of God? Soldier, when he's married, free for one year. Don't come back. Go get to know your wife. Get to know each other. Why? Because that will define everything. Don't be too busy. Pray, Lord, it is not money. I know you will give me a job, oh Lord, so that when I come back home, my wife is there. I am there, Lord, when I come back home, my wife is going to work. When she comes back from, I am going to work. No, we don't need that. I will live with lesser money in one room because I look into your kingdom and I realize what is important. I need, we need to know one another and we need to walk one together. These things are important in the kingdom of God. Time, watch out for time. Young people, watch out your time. Because there are a lot of things which you are able to do only when you are young because your minds are fresh and your bodies are young. So a lot of skills can be learned only confidently when you are young. Ask Brother Banu and ask me. We don't drive though we have license. Why? Because we learned late. Look at these little heroes after they learn at 18, they're going with one hand like that. How? Because it's a skill which is easily picked up when you are young. When you are young. The lot of skills which comes with youth. Be good. It doesn't take much time for these young ones to learn all these things. Learn. Musical instruments, these things can be learned only when you are young. If you are an old, you need a gift from God. Otherwise, it's impossible. So these are things which you need when you are young. And young girls, all the young girls, even if you don't have PhD, please learn to cook. Don't outsource your husband. 
it to the bunty please and you can learn it so easily when you are young just like that when you because i keep telling my young men especially men's meet we need to have come once in a while we should introduce you so our men's meet so many things that happen in the house cooking sweeping swabbing washing clothes the wash all a mechanical things after you get the hang of it you don't need your brains for it you don't need your brains for it you don't need brains to cook once you have learned the trick of it it will automatically come ask my mother no cooking powder no meat masala no sambar powder nothing everything is from the and it comes out like better than a star hotel you know what it is practice it is discipline and i have cooked years and years of my life it's very simple once you get the hang of it meaning you can listen to a two hour sermon on a priest on a sunday on your ipod and finish all the work in the house without even knowing you finished it because these are mechanical things you don't need brains for that to wash your clothes to iron your clothes to sweep your house to swab your house to wash the dishes you don't need any brains it's a no brainer while we make it into such a great burden and hire one maid we have terms top job then another one bottom job and another one middle job you don't need all this i still remember pastor vijay telling me last week like pastor pastor i saved he said 24000 rupees this year because i decided to be the maid think about it now we make this all into because we are not profitably using our time and then these things become a burden but if you are used to it and train when you are young it will just flow without it won't even cross your mind this goes automatically you are disciplined that way and these are all things which don't need your brain brain is needed for other work so use your time profitably and train because your body like your must your mind and your body can be trained in so many things which are right can be trained in so many things which are wrong it's just discipline make use of your time second thing in the kingdom of god one great difference between those who are successful in the kingdom and those who are failures in the i'm not talking about in the world in the kingdom even in the world is those who are successful if you have noticed studied their lives they placed importance on the small things everybody will do the big thing everybody is interested in the big things but the only way to excel in the kingdom of god is putting great value on the little things therefore we will see in the bible lots of little things remember the widow's mite remember the little boy's philos and two fish remember shamgas rod do you remember the little slave girl in naman's household the bible if you go from the beginning onwards all the way it puts prominence on little little things and it was the little things that were key to people really excelling in the future while we focus on big things let us look at a typical typical today's parent 
in biblical times, how would we react, okay? 40 years of Moses. The first 40 years of Moses. Acts chapter 7. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. This is what a typical parent would do. Send them to university. And by the time they come, doctor so and so and so, PhD, whatever, whatever, from all these places. That is Mr. Moses. Mighty in words and deeds. Next 40 years of his life is given in Exodus 3.1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. What did he do 40 years? Next 40 years? 40 to 80? He was good. Now you ask me, which did God use, the first or the second? Small thing. Just a small. We think taking care of sheep is a small thing. Ah, who will? God says, I'm watching you, how you're taking care of your father-in-law's sheep. So that I can give you my sheep to tend them in the same wilderness for the next 40 years. All the skills you learned in the University of Cairo and Alexandria, you can forget. And he did, because the Alexandria and all of our great, famous universities of Egypt. And the princes of the royal family went to the best academy. They were taught by the best. That was why he was mighty in words and deed. But God says, Moses, your destiny is connected with something else. If your destiny is connected with that, you need to go to university and excel. But you should never forget the little things. God might want that little things where he will use that little thing. David we know so much about David through the Bible. But when he was introduced, what was he doing? Tending sheep. Second time you hear in the Bible, what does, is the report that we hear about him? Do you remember? The servant in King Saul's house, he says, I've seen a boy in the wilderness who plays the harp well. Now we know stories of David. Like, Abel was saying, we have 150 psalms, at least 75 or 77 were written by whom? By whom? Why? Because he was good in a small thing. For the past 4,000 years, so 3,500 years, man has been blessed by David, not because he was the king of Israel and ruled for 40 years, but because he was good with music. That's what is still blessing you and me when we open the book of Psalms and read. Just a small thing. It's not the big things. We don't realize in the kingdom of God, the big is in the little. And the devil will take our eyes off the little things. That must be done diligently. Little things. Be careful about the little things in life. Do you see Matthew 7, 22, 23, end of the age, Jesus? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name? That's a big thing. What did we do? Prophesied in your name. Didn't you know I, all my pamphlets were in Hyderabad, prophet so and so, Lord, you don't remember me? God will say, I didn't see your pamphlet. I cast out demons in your name. Deliverance ministry. You don't know me? Done many wonders in your name. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Why? You're not careful with the small things. You did the big things. What about the small things? You didn't realize, not Arundhati Royce, but didn't you realize I'm a god of small things? Another scene on the same day. This is the end of the age. 
These are the people who come and talk about the big things. God comes on the other side, Matthew. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come you, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me. That was a small thing. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger take you in or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And Jesus, the king will answer, Assuredly I say to you, in as much as you did to one of the least, then you took care of the little ones. Not the big ones who we invite for a party and spread. No, the little ones. You are doing it for me. You are faithful in the little way. Now enter into big things. Did you see the difference in life? Actually, we know that in actual life it never sinks in. Never sinks in. Let me ask you this question. How many have met and talked to any Prime Minister of India? No. And we also know we probably will never go through life meeting any one of them. Prime Minister, forget. CM, forget. We won't meet these big people. Practically we realize we don't need these big people. Who do we need? We need the maid to come every day. We need to know the electrician. We need to know the plumber. And above all, we need the fellow who collects garbage. How do we treat these little people? CM comes, we'll put red carpet and all and say, come sir, what is he to you and to me? In which way does they make our difference? They won't even give us peace. But how do we treat the little people? How do we treat the little people? Everybody treats the big people well. I keep telling you in our men's meeting, you, any one of you call me to your house, you will give me a good dinner, you will bring out your best china and all. It is irrelevant. Anybody will do that for their pastor. What you do for the little ones in the church is what really matters. That's what it really matters. And when you don't treat them well, God says, I noticed. I saw it. I noticed. So be always careful about little people and little things. When you use your time, Never miss out on the little things of life. Because our God, if you walked on, walked along with Jesus, you will realize for 30 years, the Son of God who created everything, unimaginable wisdom and skills, was a little carpenter for 30 years. Absolutely diligent. And for the next three and a half years, he's always with the little people. He never had a big church. He never had a big worship team. He picked up 12 disciples who were all little people. And he went around, met little people. Gave illustrations, all it was not about like cause of grade, space, and nothing. He said, look at the lily in the field, a sower went to this thing. Even his illustrations were all little. He 
never missed out on the details. He never missed out on the little things. That's what God is talking about. Remember in life, in this time, we have, God has given us to fulfill our destiny. Don't miss out on those little things. Don't waste your time. Don't miss out on your little things because the devil is a deceiver. He's got thousands of years of interacting with human beings and deceiving them to distract them, to take them away from the big things of God. So last Sunday we also looked at the battle is in our mind. Past connected with memories. Future connected with imagination. Imagination. Memories. You pass a little thing in your past. Don't ignore those little things in your past. Can mess your life if you do not take care of it sooner than later. You remember that old illustration, real illustration I told you about the Korean's flight that took off from Anchorage, Alaska. Remember? When he punched in the coordinates on the flight plan, he went only by a small digit. But when you are flying 15,000 miles, when you are starting, the digits are only two or three little. But as you are going, you are going further and further and further and further and further. Remember that. That's a problem. When you are walking by faith, when you step out into sight, if you don't repent and get back, you think you are walking straight. But you are going further and further and further and further away from God. And ultimately, the Korean airliner landed over a Russian airspace. They shot it down and everybody died because he punched in the coordinates wrong by a few digits. People don't realize repentance is the greatest gift God has given man so that we come back, come back to that narrow road which God has given us. So the devil will fool us. The little things, if you look at First Samuel chapter 18, verse 6 to 9, one small thing which he ignored, and usually we all ignore. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lute. They were, Goliath is defeated. They are victorious. They are so happy. They danced, they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of just one line of one song. Look at its reaction. Saul was very angry. This should have been the happiest day of his life because Goliath is defeated. Philistines have gone away. My country is free. A young man from the field came and defeated Israel and the glory belongs to me as the king. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, Saul kept what? He didn't deal with that. He didn't deal with that in his heart. And one day he will end up on a Philistine wall, pinned down, head cut off. You know where it started? In a small thing. This is where it started. God did everything possible to get this man on the road. He couldn't come back because he wouldn't deal with this one small thing. People don't realize it is the small things in life. What we think small are very big in life. In eternity, they will become very, very big. So when it comes to your past, deal with all. Ask God, show me, Lord, is there something 
in your life. In your life. Said something which I don't know, you know, but getting me off your chartered way. And he will show you, get rid of it. Memories, let it be healed. What you can put right, put right. What you cannot put right, put it right with God. But get healed and walk. Don't let the enemy take you off God's path using memories. In Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, I lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so you are. That's where it, the battle is here. Either you win it or you lose it in your mind. And when it comes to the future, what is it? Imagination. We are daydream, daydreamers. We imagine so many things, right? We are all racing against time. In a specific time, we all have a specific task to complete for the one who called us, saved us, redeemed us. We have a, everybody has a specific task to complete in a specific period of time. What we are all doing is acquiring skills and discipline to fulfill our destiny. But remember, there is something which is not imagination, which is what Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision. The vision has to be from God. He gives you a vision. Maybe very simple. It doesn't matter. The vision God gives you is specific to you and that's all that matters. It doesn't say what anybody says about it. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. We all have a very large vision corporately, but in that there is a specific vision for you. You need to know what it is. Ask God. The devil will use imagination, see that we lose time and lose our destiny that we don't either hear or fulfill our vision. In Acts chapter 20, this is what Paul will say. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulation awaits me. He's not bothered. Why? But none of these things move, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race. Very clear. The day he called me, he told me, this is what I have to do. Vision is very clear. I'm running my race with joy. All this trouble and chains and beatings is not going to take me off my vision because I know my vision is connected with my destiny. And the devil will use all these things to stop me. He'll say, in every town I have been in every prison. I've been in chains and in beatings and I did not lie there and start imagining, oh, if I hadn't followed the Jesus of Nazareth, I would have been sitting with the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. I would have been one of the 70. Gamaliel would have definitely proposed my name. He knew I was. No imagination there. That is what we do when we are depressed. We sit there and we imagine what could have been. He says, no, neither tribulation, neither chains is not going to take me to the level of imagination. I'm walking in the level of Vision. And the vision, this is all included. And all these things will only help me to fulfill my vision. And I'm not even going to be depressed about it. When I run my race, I'm absolutely sure I will run it and finish it with joy. Because I know what is set before me on the other side. Not long faces. No. That's what he's absolutely focused. Because he has a vision. In 1 Corinthians, we know that. He will say, 9.27 or 26, if I am right, he will say, I don't run aimlessly. 
People run aimlessly. What are you doing? I don't know. What can you do? Anything. That's not what he says. I run therefore not with uncertainty. Very clear. Christians need to be very, very clear what they are doing. Running with certainty, I'm pressing forward. In Second Timothy 4, 7, he will say, I have finished. In 8, he will say, I got my prize. In eternity, we will see him with the elder saying, I got my prize, but I was not running for my prize. I was running for you. So, Lord, here is your crown. I lay at your feet. Incredible man. Because he was very clear from the day God called him that there is purpose in my life. So, please remember, this spiritual world is real. This world will pass away. Material world will pass away. Then we will realize spiritual world is real. I got fooled because I did not accept there was a spiritual world and they were intervening all through my life. The devil is a thief. Devil is a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Look at how Nahum puts it. The Lord will restore the excellence of Jacob like the excellence of Israel. What is Israel and Jacob called to do? Jacob, Israel. What is Israel? You, you and I are spiritual Israel. What are we supposed to be? Excellent. But God has to restore it. Why are we not excellent? Because the emptiers have emptied them out. Have you tried carrying a bucket one kilometer with water in which there are two holes? By the time you reach home, you have only, you are feeling, you are feeling so good as you are walking. You know what? My burden is getting lighter and lighter. Ah, Lord, thank you for my strength. Thank you for my endurance. When you reach home, there is no water. Lord, thank you. I have no troubles. I am just floating. God says you have no trouble because he has put two holes in your life. All your virtue is gone. He's got it. He's emptied you out. The emptiers have emptied you. See what the devil is called here? Demons are called, they are called the emptiers. Who has emptied all that God had for you, which would have made you excellent in the kingdom of God. The excellence of Jacob. The excellence of Israel. The devil has emptied. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God, please remember, is not like this world. What I tell you how to be in the world does not mean the same thing in the kingdom. In Matthew 11, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. All the prophets starting from Enoch onwards down to John were prophesying of the age that will come where a set of people will arise born of the spirit will start fighting back the powers of darkness and will start become the excellence of Israel. They will fulfill their testimony. War has been declared on earth. Earlier war was only in heavenlies. Man had no power to fight the demons. But now God says, another age has begun. Violence is allowed in the spiritual world. Not on earth. We don't fight. That's why Paul says, we do not fight flesh and blood. But we fight powers of doubt. We wrestle with them. So violence is allowed in the spiritual world. The powers that are working against God's people are violent and they are stubborn. 
And we cannot experience God's power unless we are willing to be spiritually violent. And stirred up and remove every idol in our life. We don't realize it comes back to that. An idol is anything that you place before God or beside God. Because an idol opens the door for the devil to come into a person's life. It can be a visible idol, it can be an idea, it can be a person, it can be anything. It's an open gateway for the devil to come in. We have to look into the word to understand how God evaluates a person. Believers. We are talking only about believers here. In 1 John, John the apostle of love, he divides spiritual Christians, the believers, into three categories. He says, I write to you, little children, for your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you fathers, because we have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write you to you little children. Okay, look at it. So there are little children, there are young men, and there are fathers. So this has got nothing to do with age. This has got nothing to do with age. You could be 75 years old and be a little child. You could be 30 years old and be a young man. You could be 40 years old and be a father. It's something spiritual. This is not physical thing. This is written to believers. This is spiritual. To move from here, children, to a young man, spiritually, what do I have to do? I have to overcome the evil one. You have to be engaged in spiritual warfare, otherwise you will be always a little child in God's kingdom. What are you drinking? Milk. Drink the milk rumber. That's all. No meat. Meat indigestion. Not ready for battle. Lord of Christians, after 40 years, 50 years of being believers, are still children because they are not able to fight. Not able to fight. You cannot move from a child to a young man unless you have been ready to fight the powers of darkness. You have to overcome the wicked one. You have to fight and not just fight, you have to win your battles. And if you lose, get up and fight again until you win. What stops a spiritual child to remain as a child without progressing to a young man or a young woman who defeats the evil one? What is the fundamental block? John says his final word to children. Little children, keep yourself from... How can you how can you fight the enemy who's got in through the open gateway? You can, you can win over it. So he says, if you want to mature to the next level, the first thing is remove every idol in your life. And the biggest idol in your life is me, myself. There are three ways. There is a way that looks right to man. At the end of it is death. Then this is broad way, which is the devil's way, eight-lane highway, and looks so cute and nice. At the end of it is death. And then there is a third way. Straight is the gate, narrow is the path, which leads to life. Only one way. Only one way leads to life. Idols are gateways 
of the devil. And he has gateways got into our minds because we have idols. And you will always know, all of us, if we have an idol in our life, when it is touched, we get angry. We get upset. If you want to know your idol, go back and ask God, what are the things that makes me angry and irritable? God says, these things, those is connected with your idol. Those are things I worship. How dare you touch me even in your sermon? That's why the first question outside the garden is, why are you angry? Touch a man's work. That's why we all want flattery. What a great worker. What a great job you did. How great was the song? How great was the sermon? How great was the cooking? And we, ah, we preen like a peacock. Peacock is the only fellow who preens without doing anything. We love that. We don't get that. Forget it. You touch that. You touch that. I told you yesterday, those who were here, outside the garden, two young people, the land is cursed. The serpent is cursed. Nothing else is cursed. The woman is not cursed. The man is not cursed. Nothing else is cursed. The land is cursed. So two sons born. Elder one Cain. Younger one Abel. Go two different ways. One becomes a farmer. The other becomes a a shepherd. And sheep are not cursed. The land is cursed. So he's working hard. Because it's a curse. He breaks the curse of the land. And sweat of his brow. He brings forth fruit. And he must have picked up best. And he says, here is the fruit of my labor. God said, I don't want it. I don't want it. Why? Any man who comes to me should first look at the blood. He acknowledges, I am not good. And I need the blood to come into your presence. You have come with your works by saying, I am good. Accept me on my merits. When you are touched there, you are angry because you got an idol in your heart. That's why we long for compliments. And we cannot work without compliments. And our child has finally eaten two spoons of Cerulac. We say, you are the best baby. And the child is growing with an idol inside him, bigger than him. And as he grows and he grows, he will think, you know what? Even if I do one little thing, I am great. It took 30 years for Jesus on earth to hear from his father once, well done. It never stopped him from doing what he had to do. No idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because they are gateways. It will subvert your destiny. Once you have an idol in your heart, or your mind, in your life, the devil can speak words of rebellion and defeat and failure and sickness and anger and envy. We have no strength to fight the devil. Can you join a career expecting nothing other than to serve God? You're successful. You're successful. 
but you have expectations from inside and the company doesn't start meeting those expectations suddenly your team manager is bad his manager is terrible company is strict i'm giving my best nothing is happening what did jesus get for 3 and 1/2 years of his ministry you read the four gospels how many people actually told him a thank you as far as i know one the samaritan the leper who came and said lord thank you and he said there were so many only you came he didn't work for a thank you he worked because it was the right thing to do so there was no idols in his heart that's why jesus says the kingdom of god advances with violence from the time of john and when john began in matthew chapter 3 in those days john the baptist came preaching in the wilderness of judea saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's come new age has begun kingdom of god is beginning repent you have power to break every idol in your life and serve god freely and fulfill your destiny In 1 Corinthians 4:20 Paul will say for the kingdom of God is not in the word but it is demonstrated in power. Kingdom of God is an idol breaker. So we need vision, not imagination. Vision, no idols. If idols are there, imagine Paul at every meeting he's getting beaten up at the end of the meeting. I heard this morning some pastor was listening on their way driving here. I was listening to this man while while coming from the office to the home actually and this man was saying that if you probably looked at paul's body and if you saw his head he probably was missing a big chunk and you say what happened there? oh that uh, let me remember where did i lose it corinth or uh, colisea philippia every part of his body had a mark of a particular town He didn't stop him from serving God. No rewards. In some places, he had to work. When he went to a new place, what did he do? He worked to serve the kingdom. In other places, they supported him. No complaints. He said, "I made tent, worked harder than anybody else. Two jobs I did. I supported myself, and I also served the kingdom. Why?" No idols. Question is, God is saying, "I am putting you all through this process to see whether you will graduate into the royal civil service one day." Nobody realizes we are going through a process of training, and there is a day going to come when the sons of God will be revealed. Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, and nineteen: A clear vision is given to the church. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, "All authority has been given in heaven and on earth. Only those who have authority can give a vision. Where there is no authority, there can be no vision. All authority. What is the vision? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Go. General vision of the church. Go make." disciples broad vision each one of us have to find out where do i fit in with this vision where do i fit in? 
In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and verse 8, he said, don't leave, wait. Don't just go, wait until you have received power. To fulfill a vision, you need power. Wait for power. And when that happens, you're going to face a lot of opposition. You are fulfilling the vision of God. You're going to face opposition in your personal life, in your family life, in your corporate life. You are all going to face opposition. Don't get discouraged. Come back together always. In what does he say in Acts chapter 4? Acts 4, 29 to 31, when persecution started. Now, Lord, look at their interests and grant your servants that all boldness they may speak your word. And the next verses, by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God with boldness, meaning you are going to face opposition only when you're fulfilling a God-given vision. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Come back together, ask for more power and more boldness that you will never give up and turn back. Never. When you're fulfilling a vision in the world, there is no opposition. You will have a lot of people to help you because they think that's good for me too. But this is different. Every step of the way, you may face opposition. And you need to come back. We need to come back together as a church and say, Lord, I need power. More power and more boldness because this is connected with my destiny. It's got nothing to do with academics. The devil does not bother about your grammar and phonetics and all. Only thing is worried is do you have power to trample upon him? That's the only thing he's worried. He's not worried about anything else. He knows power when he faces it. Because he knows power is given by Jesus to those who come under authority you will trample upon snakes and scorpions. Spiritual world, children, is very, very, very real. That's why we are called to wear our spiritual armor before you fight. Otherwise, why do we need armor? Do you see soldiers walking around with armor all the time? I had a a random thing, I walk around my house, I keep writing stuff as God gives me. The two pieces of armor which God gives you is the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Do you see it's armor? Anything that is not truth is empowered by the enemy. Truth is only empowered by God. Anything that is not truth is empowered by the enemy. Because the enemy is the enemy of truth. He's not bothered by all our activities for God in the name of God. As long as we do not seek the truth and walk in the truth. He's not bothered. Because he knows your armor is open anyway. I can get you anytime I want you. I can get you anytime I want you. Righteousness. Not positional, functional righteousness. If it is gone, it's all visible in the spiritual realm. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is hidden. I may not see, you may not see me, I may not see you, but the devil sees everything. That's why God says walk in repentance so that your armor is in place. Understand how the spiritual realm works. We are where we are is because 
we didn't know we had an enemy we did not know how he fights and we got blindsided by the enemy absolutely smothered god says arise arise because the spiritual realm is actually real like if you really in the spirit when you pray spiritual prayers those prayers in the spiritual realm are actually translated into swords and knives and fire that's how you learn from the old testament when elijah called on fire when fire came and killed this thing god is saying that's exactly what happened in the spiritual realm in the new covenant when you pray fire prayers the enemy is being consumed in fire when the midianites were blinded and turned and started cutting each other with the sword it is a scriptural principle of what happens in the powers of darkness when a man or a woman of god starts praying in the spirit they're cutting the demons down spiritual things are real more real than physical things it's a real thing that is happening and it's a war in which the church has to be engaged 24/7 because scripture is saying this is not with flesh and blood this is with powers of darkness in the bible when it talks about spiritual things they are all tangible in the spiritual realm joy peace love blessings all are tangible it can be taken it can be transferred if i can do it in the kingdom of god the devil can do in his kingdom too jesus says when you go to your house peace and he says if that is a child of god your peace will go and touch him the devil can take your peace and give it to somebody else he can take your blessings and give it to somebody else he can take your destiny and give it to somebody else he can do it because it's a spiritual world if you are foolish enough to lose it the leprosy that was on gehas on naman could be taken spiritually and passed on to gehasi and all his descendants forever so spiritual transference understand the battle we have this thing doesn't happen in the world they worship the devil they get what they want the kingdom of god it is a battle you need to fight the devil and walk with god to inherit your promises that is what god is telling israel i did all this delivered you out of egypt brought you to the wilderness now go in fight and possess the land and you have to fight and destroy all your enemies you will possess no fighting no possession every defeat of israel in the book of joshua is connected with a sin or a deception otherwise they couldn't be defeated one man could take a bar of gold and a babylonian garment and the army loses because sin had just gone you're not standing on your power of israel even a small town called ai will defeat you if i don't cover you if i have to cover you walk in righteousness no covering otherwise the other gibeonites come they were old clothes molded bread and says we have come from far can we make a treaty with you joshua without inquiring of the lord made a treaty god said you you you, you are in you made a treaty you spoke for me the word stands but they are not from far they are your neighbors they will live with you now there will be a snare and a thorn in your side all the days of your life because you didn't inquire of me it's war it's a real real war everything can be transferred the enemy naham tutu what does he do emptiers have 
emptied them out. God had filled Jacob, Abraham, through you the world will be blessed. Fill them with excellence. The enemy came and emptied it all. God says, I will restore you. But come back the hard way. Been emptied. Because we are living now all times in an age where occult has gone mainstream. It's there all around and people are not even bothered. Everybody is buying into it. We all know Isaiah 54 verse 17, right? No weapon. Everybody knows that. And we claim it, we speak it, but the problem is we need to know math also. In math, before 17 comes, 16. What is 16? Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. It is the spoiler who destroys. I created it. It's a spoiler. Who is after our destiny. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Reason? Your righteousness. Right? Verse 17. Let's go. Shall, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is... Why are we not able to condemn? Because we struggle with this. I have to condemn. God doesn't say he will condemn. He says you have to fight this fight. The devil is forging all kinds of weapons against you. You fight it. What does scripture says? You shall condemn. Who is this you? Why is it in capital? It's a Christ in me. It's a Christ in me who is condemning. And my righteousness is from God. So I need to have the righteousness which is from God so that the Christ in me will speak the word through me and the weapons of the devil is destroyed. But the problem is he's a destroyer and he understands the kingdom of God. So you see through the Bible, you will see how the spoiler, the destroyer, what is he called? The spoiler. Separated from birth, prophesied about his birth, separated but set apart from the glory of God. His name was Samson. How was he spoiled? How was he spoiled? Only one thing. The devil put in his heart to chase after Philistine girls. That's all. One thing. Not two things, one thing. When you will contend with my gates, with my enemy and gates, gates, gates. Samson was so strong, he lifted the gates of Philistines and took it away. That's how strong he was. But the devil spoiled him with one thing. One thing. Emptied him out. See? Saul was chasing David down the valleys and up the mountains instead of chasing the Philistines. Spoiler, spoiled him. Solomon had wisdom like nobody, money like nobody, power like nobody, and he chased after the wind. The spoiler spoiled him. Cain was a wasted man. The first human being outside the Garden of Eden was completely wasted, spoiled, destroyed by the spoiler. Esau was a wasted man. First born of Isaac, the perfect man. Lord of pastors, servants of God are wasting themselves like Gehazi, running after gifts and money. 
That's why the battle against the emptiers and these destroyers, these wasters. Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ, then you are Adam's, Abraham's seed, and heir according to the promise. That's what we are. What is the Abrahamic blessing? What is the promise? That's your destiny, my destiny. If I am in Christ, I am a seed of Abraham. What does that mean? I am blessed to be a blessing. If you are not a blessing, you are not fulfilling any destiny. We have to be a blessing. It's not enough to be blessed. The people in the world are blessed. We have to be a blessing. Otherwise, the spoiler has spoiled us. You know, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 and 2. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. To observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all this blessing shall come upon you and overtake you. It will pursue you. What is coming? Blessing is coming. It's like Elijah overtaking Ahab's chariot. One time Ahab chose to listen to God, the blessings of God overtook him. He shall shall pursue you, overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord. But you know what Israel's history actually became? Though this promise was there, look at the next one, Lamentations. One six from the daughter of Zion, all her splendor has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. Now instead of the blessings of God pursuing Zion, the devil is pursuing Zion and they have no strength to run. Destiny of a nation changed because they chose not to obey God. Her splendor has departed. Who is this? Daughter of Zion. Gone. Her princes are like deer, thirsty, hungry, no pasture. And they have no strength before the pursuer. Is that the state of Christians? They're given up. Ah, it's okay. I don't feel like going to church today. What's the point trying to pray for my marriage? He's not going to change. Forget the children. I'll just continue like that. Did you see what has happened? This is the reality of most Christians. Because we know as pastors, when we counsel people, through the week, through the month, through the year, any nation, any city, any town, the story is this. They have no strength. No strength. Instead of blessings, the power of God overtaking them. The devil is pursuing them and overtaking They have no strength to run. God said, that's not your destiny. You cannot go without strength before your pursuer. Ask yourself, what are the things that is pursuing you? What are the things Pursuing you, overtaking you, where you have no strength. Are you a person that anger pursues you and overtakes you every day and you don't have the strength to self-control? Are you a person where the spirit of lust overtakes you and you have no strength to say no? What are the spirits that are pursuing you and you have no strength before it? You just give in. What is it? Bitterness? Unforgiveness? Distraction? No focus? Poverty? Infirmity? These are not from God. 
Man lying in prison is telling us, my God shall supply all my needs. He doesn't say our God or your God. He says my God, I don't know about you. Whether you have experienced him that way. He has pursued me all my life, but I had strength to run faster than him. He never caught me. What is pursuing you and me? Because we are called Zion in the new covenant. The church is called the assembly of the firstborn. And it is called Zion. Has the daughter of Zion lost her splendor? Has she lost her beauty? Is she wandering around where there is no pastor anymore? Multitudes, multitudes, another prophet will say, in the valley of decision, they don't even know, have the knowledge what decision to take. Churches are full, but no pastor. They're princes. Their prophets, their pastors, their priests have become like deer with no pastor. And they come, it is like a Sunday school insipid little word in which they are not able to bring any change in their people, just sending them out for slaughter into the enemy's slaughterhouse. What has happened? Why did we go wrong? Exactly where Israel went wrong. Look! Through the window of the news that is unfolding before our eyes, because before the greatest Christian nation the world has ever known, there is no voice left. Yesterday's article in the front page of Fox News, Will Christianity Survive in America? Friend, one of the top news. In a few years' time, California has always set the precedence for every ungodly law for the rest of the nation. This is introduced in 10 years from now. Will this be banned in America? How did we reach there? Ask this question. If America bans the Bible, what it is to stop the government of India to ban the Bible? Who will speak for us? We are a two-person, three-person minority. How did we reach there? Because our people did not learn to fight. Powers of darkness. So this 40 days starting today, take an inventory. Look at all the mighty men in the Bible. How did they become mighty? And you will see. They had a structure to which God brought them in their life. They put God first. Put God's kingdom first. They put his righteousness. When they fell, they came back, they stood on the narrow way, they redeemed the time, they put little things very important in the place, they knew God was a God of small things, they put all this into perspective, they girded their loins for war, they put on the blessed pair of righteousness, and in their closets they fought this battle. They fought this battle. Take an inventory and say, Lord, what do you need to do that I become one like that? It's a close. I'll tell you one thing more than anything. We won't like it, but that is the truth. In Psalm 51, verse 17, scripture says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Remember? Do you remember Abel said that while leading worship? That's why you have to hear every little thing, including what the worship leader says, the announcements in the church, everything you have to hear, because you never know when God will speak to you through an entire three-hour service. He said the same thing. 
are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. Everything God is doing in his children's life, in a child of God's life, is to bring us to that point where we will be broken. We are standing there and think, being unbroken, I am a child of God. God says, no, I can't help you. Brokenness, let me explain to you, is the taming of the human soul. You, if you like me, have read and watched all the old westerns. You will see where they get these horses from the wild. You will see the coral over there and all the horses over there. And cowboys will come and say, can I buy this thing? And he will look at that one and say, wow, that's good, really strong, powerful. Can I have it? And the owner will say, that's not broken. You cannot ride a horse that is not. It's useless. That's exactly what it means. God has to use a man or a woman for his ways. First he has to break him. A broken man or a broken woman will be used by God till the uttermost. If we are not broken, we will serve God in his name. Whether God will acknowledge us on that day, we don't know. The power of a broken life cannot be contested by the devil. Cannot be contested by the devil. Because we cannot fight the enemy that is much, much stronger than us. Only God. And God cannot fight through us unless he has broken down our flesh and our will, our stubborn will. So use this next 40 days. You know the areas you are very strong in. God has been trying to tame you there and you are saying, no, I will not. Even if you tell me to sit down and I sit down under pressure, I am still standing up inside. Remember the little boy? Ask this 40 days, Lord, tame my soul. You know me better than I know myself. And the devil also knows me better than I know myself. So Lord, let it not be a contest of your will but and my will. No, Lord, tame me. And I believe greatest days then are ahead of us. Even if you have wasted your time all these years, it doesn't matter if you come back to God. There's this incredible promise in the old covenant connected with the last days. It's in Joel. So I will restore to you the years the swarming locusts. Another devil. Another name for the devils and the demons. Swarming locusts has eaten. The crawling locusts, the consuming. It doesn't kind of which creepy crawly thing it is, he says. Whatever locust has eaten your ears, he says, I will restore. That is what God is. Only God, nobody can do. None of even Bill Gates can't do it with all his money. If he's a 70, 60 years old, he's 60, he cannot get anything back. But God can. If you come with absolute wholehearted repentance back to God and you are 75 years old and God says, okay honey, you've got two years left. I'm going to do one thing. I am outside time. I am the God of time. In the next two years, I will compress your life. This two years, you will fulfill 70 years destiny in two years. I can do that for you. Are you willing? He says, remember all this locust was, he sent them in. Unless God lifts the heads, no devil can move. 
You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. This one person alone outside time. Even the devil knows the book of Revelation and says he knows his time is short. Not for God. God is outside time. Even devil is caught in time. He looks at us and he sees, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Soon my time will come. I will get seven years and after that I am gone. He knows he's caught in time, not us. We are caught in his time if we allow our times to be in his hands. He says, I will give it all back. And verse 28 to 32. And it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all. This is what Peter preaches. But that was the former reign. The end is coming, much greater than. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into a blood before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord. Before it, just before it, and then it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mar, where the daughter of Zion lost her splendor, and a princess of thirsting for pasture. Mount Zion in Jerusalem, they shall be delivered, and the Lord has said, among the, be part of it. Don't be part of the crowd. All these promises are for the remnant in every generation, not for everybody. Only for the remnant. The remnant is a set of people, even if you take them in Babylon in chains, they will still stand there alone for God. They will not bow down before the statues. They will never, nobody can stop them praying kings and bring edicts and all. It will not stop them praying because they are a remnant. The rest of them assimilated into the Babylon culture. Only the remnant came back. And that was the purpose of God to take Israel and Judah to Babylon, to the world in chains, break the idolatry, who would be willing? The remnant who broke idolatry came out. The rest became part of Babylon and its idolatry. So God sends the church into the world to see who will come out of the world without idols in their heart and says, they are my remnant and I will show my hand in their lives. If you got anything in this today's message, Fight the idols in our lives. Anything that you put beside God, before God, in your life. Even if it's an idea, it has to be my way. It's an idol. It doesn't have to be my way, it has to be God's way. Amen? Shall we pray? Shall we stand? Father, we just stand before thee, Lord, as your people. Your promises are there. And all your promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We want to be part of that remnant in this generation. We do not want to be swept away when your flood of judgment comes. When the Babylonian empire crashed and vanished, along it went Israel and Judah who had become part of Babylon. Your word prophesies once again in one day Babylon will be brought down 
When Babylon is brought down in one day, every Christian that became part of that Babylon also will disappear. And I pray, Father, all of us would humble ourselves before Thee and seek Your face that we are not part of Babylon. We are part of Zion. We are part of spiritual Jerusalem. That we don't only have height and breadth, but more than Lord, we will see we have depth in our lives. For you are a God who is deep. And your word says deep, calls unto deep. Oh Father, we will not, we will not spare anything in our life to have a deep abiding relationship with you, Lord. That's our purpose. That's our destiny. At the end, Lord, our destiny was how deep did we walk with God? How deep was our relationship with you and with one another? Pray, Father, we will not forget the fundamental purposes of salvation. Summer is here, but your promises are here. The sun shall not smite us by day, nor the moon by night. Our God shall be a shade unto us. Our God shall watch over our going out and our coming in. And we will, I pray, Father, give us all rest. What lies ahead in these coming days and months for this nation, we do not know. But one thing we ask, go before us, Lord. And keep us close to you. There are young ones here, little children here, all age groups here. Without you, we are nothing. Without you, we can do nothing. Without you, we have no power to fight these hordes of darkness. Without you, this pursuer will overtake us. With you, your power and your blessings will overtake us. And I pray, Lord, we will learn to walk with you. We'll surrender our dreams, our aspiration, our idols, whatever it is, every day at the altar. And we will say, Lord, thy will be done. Only thy will. For thy will is good. Thy will is pleasing. Thy will is perfect. Help us, Lord. Help us. Go before us, Lord. Go before us. All of us. Every one of us. Go before us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you. Pray that you touch your children. Meet them at their point of need. That there will be a divine stirring up in their inner man, Lord. They will fight the powers of darkness. They will fight everything in their lives, our lives that opposes God. Pull down everything that rises above the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Every stubborn, evil sin in our lives, we will fight it in your strength. We will left nothing unturned in our lives, Lord, that does not please you. These 40 days, O Lord, before the 11th year begins. I pray, destinies will be set in your church. People will see visions and dreams. Your young men and old men and young women and old women will prophesy. I pray, Father, as they surrender the Spirit to the overseer, the Holy Spirit, I pray your Spirit will speak to us in different ways, O Lord, so that each one will know what you have called us for. And then like Paul, we will set our face 
and we will run our race in joy and nothing, nothing will dissuade us, Lord. Help us to remain humble today, each day, every day of our life, Lord. Because your scripture says that's one thing you love. Help us to be broken so that we may be used of you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. Believing the blood of Jesus, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God has cleansed us today. We lift up holy hands in your presence, and we bless your holy name. We, your children, bless our Father's holy name. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Father. We proclaim in your house, and in our homes, and in our lives, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us until the hour of His coming. Amen.